0: Today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. And if you're able and willing, please stand for the reading of God's word. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John, and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John... For, what, for his nobles and military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, "'Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you.' And he vowed to her, "'Whatever you ask me, I will give you, up to half of my kingdom.' And she went out and said to her mother, "'For what should I ask?' And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry because of his oath and his guests. He did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good afternoon again, everyone. Welcome once again to this Gathering of New Hope Fellowship. It's wonderful to worship with you and to Sing songs of praise about our marvelous Savior and to hear God's word together as well. We've um we began studying the gospel of Mark back in April. And after today, we're actually gonna take a break from this book. And we'll come back to Mark next year, God willing. And next week, I'll tell you more about what we're gonna be doing in between. But for now, If you were here back in April, I wonder if you remember that way back in week number one of this series, we were introduced to a man named John the Baptist. He was a messenger from God who was calling people to repent. That is, he was calling people to turn to God and find forgiveness for their sins. Well, today, in our last message in this series for now once again, the action centers on John the Baptist. Which is interesting. And more specifically it focuses on how John the Baptist confronted a very powerful man named Herod with the message of repentance with the call to turn away from his sin and turn to God and the response he got. We're going to see the response that John received from this powerful man named Herod. Now, over the for the past uh, few weeks, what we've been seeing in the Gospel of Mark is Jesus, who is God Himself in the flesh, interacting with people, speaking God's words to them, and getting a variety of responses. In fact, that's really a major theme through these, this whole section and these various chapters that we've been reading through. This theme, this question, how are people responding to Jesus and to his words? And as we observe the various responses that Jesus receives, we're driven to ask ourselves, how am I responding to Jesus and to his words? And so we want to do that again today. We're going to see how someone responds to God's words. And we're going to be driven to ask ourselves, how are we responding to God and to his words? So far, here's what we've seen. Some people have rejected Jesus outright. We saw this last week. We saw it in previous chapters. Some people leveled accusations at Jesus. Some people just just asked him to go away and drove him away. Others went as far as to plot to kill him. Then on the other hand, we find that some people received Jesus. That is, they believed his words, they they welcomed him, and as a result, they experienced forgiveness and healing and freedom. So if we take all those various responses that we've seen so far, they basically fall into two categories. It's either rejection on the one hand or acceptance on the other. Jesus has faced rejection and he has received acceptance from people as well. That's all we've seen so far. But but this week, we're going to see that sometimes God and his words are met with neither rejection nor acceptance, but with ambivalence. What I mean is that it's met with, he's met with mixed feelings. It's not no, go away on the one hand, but it's also not acceptance and trust. Instead, it's a kind of indecisive, non-committal nothing. And what we'll see today is that that kind of indecisive, non-committal response to Jesus is dangerous, tragically dangerous. If you've never come to the point of trusting Jesus, I'm really, I'm really glad you're here because this is one more time that Jesus is going to call you to believe in Him as Savior and King. He's been calling you, and He's calling you now to believe in Him as Savior and King. But I also want you to see that sustained indecision is an unwise, perilous response to him. And we'll see why that is. But also, if you have trusted in Jesus, if you would call yourself a follower of Christ, this this account speaks to you too. I wonder if there's some area in your life where the one you call Lord... He's calling you to obey him in some area, perhaps. Or he's calling you to trust him in some area of your life. And although you call him Lord, perhaps you're struggling to follow him. You're, you're hesitating indecisively. And I want you to see that that's a dangerous place to be too. So we need to see today the urgency of responding to Jesus decisively. The, the urgency of, of breaking free from whatever it is that's holding us back. Keeping us ambivalent, putting off a response, postponing a response to Jesus. The account Shalyn just read to us is tragic, isn't it? But what we're going to see is that it's not ultimately tragic for John, who was executed. But it's really ultimately tragic for Herod. And it's meant in part to tell us, to warn us lovingly, don't let this tragedy happen to you. So three things we're going to look at here, three points. One, the problem of indecision. Two, the cause of indecision. And then lastly, the cost of indecision. The problem, the cause, and the cost. So let's look at what this indecision is all about. Verse 20 is really central, and so we're going to go right there. Let's read it. It says, For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. And he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Now, for the people who originally read the Gospel of Mark first, the, the, Mark's original readers, they, they would have known the name of Herod. It would have been talked about. It was recent history for them. Herod was a Roman ruler. He's called a king here, but he's not the kind of king that you might expect. When we hear "king," we think of a, a sovereign governor, right—the the top of the food chain. But that's not Herod. He governed just a section of the Roman Empire, this this region called Galilee, maybe a little bit more. But he had to report to other people above him, and his job really was just to keep things peaceful in the region, to manage it, keep things quiet, don't allow any turmoil. And don't cause any scandal. That was his job. Well, Herod caused some scandal. At one point, he chose to leave his wife and marry a woman called Herodias, who happened to be his brother's wife. So you see, he married his sister-in-law, who, get this, as if that's not bad enough, his sister-in-law also happened to be his niece, Yes, that's gross, and this is a sordid story, and John knew that that was creepy. He, this man succeeded in committing adultery and incest in, in one fell swoop. Yeah, it is a sordid story, if you didn't notice. It, it sounds like a reality show, doesn't it? A really bad reality show, like Real Housewives of Galilee or something like that. I heard someone else say, keeping up with the Herodians, they said. I don't know, maybe maybe that one's funnier. But Herod's actions troubled lots of people. It was scandalous. And, And it especially troubled the Jewish people in the region. They're looking at this kind of like pagan Roman indecency, and they were scandalized by it. Well, John the Baptist, for one, spoke out directly. He didn't post something on social media right he doesn't like create a clever little hashtag to to speak out to his followers against Herod no he actually confronted Herod and verse 18 says that, that that he had been saying to Herod repeatedly that means repeatedly he had been saying this is not lawful this is not lawful in other words what that means is God says this is wrong in what sense is it not lawful? It's not according to, it's, it's illegal? No, it's, it's not according to God's law. He speaks that truth to Herod, and he pays a cost for it. Verse 17 says that Herod had him arrested and incarcerated, quote, for the sake of Herodias. So it was for the sake of his, his sister-in-law slash niece slash wife. She was the one who wanted John imprisoned, wanted him punished. Verse 19 says, in fact, that She wanted him dead. But it didn't happen. He didn't die, at least not yet. Why? Verse 20 is our key verse again. Verse 20, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe when he heard him. He was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. So notice the the inner conflict going on here. The indecisiveness of Herod. He's afraid of John, but he also respects John. And on on top of that, he's also perplexed by John. The the, the word means he was uncertain. He was at a loss. Like, what to make of this guy? He was pulled in two directions, so to speak. So on the one hand, he protected John from execution, but he also locked him up. And after John was in prison, this is odd, Herod would have him come out, And talk to him. And then send him back to prison. And when John would come out to talk to Herod, he would call Herod to turn away from his adultery and his incest and and turn to the Lord. And the amazing thing is that Herod actually liked it. It says he received him gladly. Literally, it it means there was something pleasant about what John was saying to him. It, it, It touched him in some way. It affected him in some positive way that he says, I want to hear more of this. I want to hear this again. Come back, John. Talk to me. And he'd send them back to prison. Now, I suspect that John probably spoke to Herod about more than just his sinful relationship to Herodias. There were probably other things that he was bringing up too. But whatever he heard, he appreciated it. And he must have recognized wisdom in it. He saw something good in it. Perhaps, perhaps he was even convicted by it. I I wonder if he was convicted at times to question his choices, to question the way that he was living, to question his allegiances, but it never went beyond that for Herod. He just liked hearing him. If John had a podcast, Herod would have subscribed and listened faithfully. He was a fan. But he never accepted what John said to the point that he owned it and acted on it. He'd just keep calling John back to talk to him more and then send him back to his cell. The way some of us might spend years going back to church weekly or maybe once in a while, but there's no observable commitment to follow the way of God. No change of course in life. Indecision. But Howard could only sit on the fence for so long And when he was finally forced to make a choice, he made the easier choice. He fell off the fence. The path of least resistance for him was to have God's messenger killed. So he rolled with that, kind of passively, went along with it. And here's the story, verse 21. It says, but an opportunity came when Herod was, on his birthday, gave a banquet. For his nobles and military commanders and leading men of Galilee, people have made some foolish choices on their birthdays, haven't they? You ever make some bad choices on your birthday? You're going to live it up. You're going to enjoy it. You deserve it. It's your day. I believe some bad choices have been made on birthdays, and this might be amongst the worst. I'm going to cut loose and have fun and celebrate my day. Well... It says in verse twenty-two: For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. If that feels weird to you, it is weird. It should. It should feel creepy because it is. It's, it's creepy. It's exploitative. It's it's wrong in many ways. This this is there's nothing innocent or or good or wholesome about this. And it goes on to say in verse twenty-two that the king said to the girl, "Ask me." for whatever you wish and I will give it to you and he vowed to her whatever you ask me I will give to you up to half my kingdom this is a figure of speech most people would say um he didn't have the power to give her half the kingdom or any of the kingdom it wasn't his he, he was an administrator but a powerful one but he's basically saying blank check I'll give you whatever you want if I can give it to you I will He's flexing more power than he really has. But you get what he's trying to communicate. In verse 24, it says, She went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Hmm. Exceedingly sorry. I, I, I can only imagine how the vibe in that room changed in that moment. How the, how the inner reality for Herod just switched right there. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. You see what happened here. Herodias saw the opportunity to manipulate Herod, to use this occasion to get what she wanted. But this wasn't just an opportunity for Herodias. This was, in a sense, an opportunity for Herod too. It was a chance for him to actually take stock of what he was doing with his life and what this woman, what he was doing with this woman and what was going on and, and to repent. It was an opportunity for him to finally turn away from this horrid relationship, from the course that he was on. It was a chance for him to actually obey God's words. But he chose passivity. He chose the easier way. In order to save face and to appease Herodias, the easiest way forward was to kill the messenger. And in a sense, double down on this relationship that he should have never been in to begin with. And so that's what he does. It says, verse 27, and immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. This is horrific. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Now, there are all sorts of negative lessons here for us, aren't there? There are lessons here about awful parenting. There are lessons here about poor leadership, about making foolish oaths. There's probably lessons here about the use of alcohol, because I can only assume that Herod must have been drunk to make such stupid choices. But what we need to focus on, because I think it's the point of the passage, and it's related to all those things, but really it's the point, is on how Herod responded to God's words. That had come to him through John for so long. Remember, that's the theme that's going through these chapters, how people respond to God and his words, what they do with God and what they do with God's words. So let's press in a little bit more and think about the cause of indecision the cause of indecision. In Herod and in us, too. The cause of indecision. I, I wonder if some of us are more prone to hesitation. Like, we're a little bit more indecisive. Like, we're, we're just wired that way, right? And maybe we've had experiences or upbringing that kind of made us a little bit more hesitant. I, I certainly am. I own that. That's not always a bad thing, right? Hesitating can, can sometimes keep you from making bad, hasty choices. Some people make decisions too quickly. They move too fast. And then they regret it. Maybe that's you. There's a line in Hamilton where he says, I'd rather be divisive than indecisive. He'd rather be divisive than indecisive. And Hamilton, we look at it, I... I look at that, and I say, wow, that's true. This man moved with quick determination. This man had strong conviction, and he wouldn't let anything stop him. He also ended up dead because of an impulsive choice made hastily. Jesus himself tells us to count the cost of following him. He says, don't don't take this lightly. Don't just raise your hand and lightly say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus without thought, without contemplating what that really means. We need to be thoughtful and not impulsive when it comes to following Jesus, but he also warns us to not delay, to not be passively postponing what we know is right and we know is good. Follow me. That's his repeated command to people who are hesitating. He says, don't hesitate, follow me. Repent and believe in the gospel, he says, again and again. So... If you are indecisive about following Jesus or, or maybe you are a professing follower of Christ, but you're, you're hesitating right now just to obey him in some area of your life, or you're hesitating to trust him in some area of life, I would ask you to ask yourself, why is that? Where is this indecisiveness coming from? And I invite you to consider whether your indecision might be rooted in fear, Possibly. I think for, for Herod, it was. In that moment, for instance, in the feast, his big birthday bash, in that moment, he feared losing face. He feared the reaction of his sister-in-law slash niece slash wife. But he had already been conflicted about God and God's words for a long time. What was he fearing? I think he feared losing the relationship with Herodias. But more fundamentally, what he really feared was submitting his life to the Lord. He feared submitting his life to someone else, a God who would be in charge of him. He he feared, the ruler feared, giving up his authority over his own life, giving up his autonomy and rule over himself. He feared saying, God, I am yours. You direct me. You are Lord, not me. For many of us, I believe ambivalence towards God and his words may also be rooted in fear. Perhaps some of us fear what it will cost, what I will lose if I submit my life to him. And often, maybe coupled with that fear or in place of that fear, there's, there's a, a love, a, a love for sin or a love for things that's so strong that that love is, and commitment has become unhealthy and sinful maybe it's a love for what you know is wrong and you fear that if i submit myself to christ i'm going to have to turn away from this and that cost feels too high maybe i'll do it but let me have some time to think about this or let's be honest let me have some time to not think about this and ignore it. And prioritize some other things and postpone. Herod again. He loved his relationship with Herodias it seems and there was much more that he was probably holding on to that he loved, but how about you? How about us? Do you fear that if you finally surrender yourself to Jesus that you will lose too much? Do you fear that if you surrender yourself to Jesus, that it might cost you more than you want to give? I some of you say, yeah, that, that was me. That was my. I know I can say it. That was my story. Fear of submitting myself to Jesus, loving sin so much. And so I'd say one day, maybe. One day, man, maybe. And I'd barely ever think about it. But if you already claim to be a follower of Jesus... Is it possible that you're fearing? Do you fear that obedience in some area of your life, that trusting him in some area of your life will cost too much? So yes, you call him Lord, but practically speaking, you're hesitant to submit yourself completely to his lordship. What we need to see is that what the Lord offers us in himself is infinitely and eternally better than whatever we're holding on to, than whatever we could lose In fact, what he offers us in himself is exactly what we need most deeply. What he gives us in himself is what we would ask for if we knew what would fulfill us and satisfy us forever. If we weren't confused and thinking that these other things that have never satisfied or fulfilled us somehow will, hopefully, if we keep doubling down on them. Jesus offers you forgiveness and eternal life. Offers you welcome into God's family. He offers you a place in his kingdom. And he offers all of this free. But at great cost to himself. At the cost of the cross. At the cost of his own death. At the cost of that full unlimited sacrifice. Sacrifice. And you and I, we need everything that He offers us in Himself. In fact, deep down, we long for it. You may not recognize it, but you do long for what He offers you. You're just trying to find it in the wrong places. You need rescue from your sin, from a bad conscience. You need to be forgiven and cleansed. You need a hope that's beyond this world. That's hope, and you need someone to live for that's not you. But who you can trust, and who you'll never lose, and who loves you more than you love yourself, who loves you more than anyone could love you. He wants to give you all that. He wants to give you, and you know what he wants? To, he wants to take away your guilt. He wants you to give your guilt to him, and he'll take it. said my death paid for it. It's covered. So that's why he calls you to trust him. Trust him to forgive you and to cleanse you. This is, this is what I really want us to walk out of here knowing. We must, not, we must not give in to the fear of what it will cost or what we'll lose. What he has for us, what he has for you is so much more. Tragically, this ruler chose his own rule over Jesus' rule. And in doing that, he did it in a kind of passive way, but he did it. That's what he chose. And in doing so, he decided to remain outside the kingdom of the Savior. And that brings us to the very last point, the cost of indecision. The cost of indecision. As Mark 6, this chapter opens up, Jesus is getting famous. If it were 2023, Folks would be sharing clips of all the miracles he was performing. And we'd be arguing about whether those videos were real or not. Is that CGI? I don't know. Is that AI generated? Is this real? I think this is a skit. This is fake. But things were simpler back then, of course. Words spread by mouth. But it was still, it triggered all kinds of arguments and conflicting theories. Everyone had different thoughts on who Jesus might be and how he was pulling this off. And really, was he pulling it off? Mark says that some people believe Jesus was the second coming of John. Some thought he was Elijah, who who is a, a figure who is uh, similar in many ways to John, who, who confronted rulers with God's words centuries before John was ever born. Other folks said, oh, he's a, he's a prophet. But, but, uh, but for Herod's part, Herod was convinced that John had come back from the dead. <laughs> Verse 16 says, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. He's back. I think Herod must have been having some real nightmares for the past, however long it had been. This man was haunted by the memory of John. Haunted by the memory of what he had done to the only guy who loved him enough to speak truth to him. So I think he was filled with guilt. Perhaps there was regret there too. And that new hope is one cost of indecision. One cost of indecision is that guilt and that reject that, that regret that comes from knowing that you are choosing not to receive the best gift that you could be offered. The guilt to regret, sometimes low level, but it's there, that comes from knowing that you're passively you're passing up on and choosing to not receive the best gift you could ever be given because, because you so love and you so fear losing the very things that are hurting you the very things that are chipping away at you and that guilt and regret it only builds up as you remain passive and indecisive but the cost actually got worse for Herod fast forward a couple of years We see in Luke 23, we're told this. Jesus at that point has been arrested, kind of like what happened to John the Baptist. And now he's facing death. Another indecisive ruler named Pilate sends Jesus to go see Herod. And you know, it says that Herod was excited that Jesus was coming to visit. Probably reminded him of the times that he was able to bring John up from the, from the cell and have a good talk. It says in Luke 23, verse 8, When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but Jesus made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him and Herod with his soldiers. They treated him with contempt and they mocked him and then arraying him in splendid clothing, they sent him back to Pilate. I don't know what to do with this guy. He's your problem. Indecision and ambivalence again. Only here it had gotten worse. Herod's indecision had now morphed into indifference And beyond that, into into hostility. You see, this man was once somewhat receptive to God's words, but now he is contempt for God in the flesh. He's unimpressed by Jesus. And notice, notice this. This is the most chilling part of it all. Jesus himself has nothing to say to him. God had sent him, John. Again and again, Herod had opportunities. He had had great opportunities. He was passive and noncommittal. And now his heart has just hardened. And it's hostile towards God. And Jesus is silent. It's a stunningly tragic scene. And, 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 and in Jesus' silence there, and in this, the, 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 the tragedy of that scene, it's as if it's crying out to us to say, listen. Listen if your heart is open and receptive to God and his words, if your heart is open even a little, don't ignore that. And don't assume it'll last forever. You don't have the power to control your heart the way you think you have. So, so if at any time, even if right now, if you sense an openness to God, to his gospel a receptivity to it if you feel conviction to repent to, to turn to god and trust him don't assume that that window of opportunity will be open forever this is not a scare tactic by the way and i know, i usually don't speak like this i don't say these kinds of things often to you guys maybe i don't say it enough to myself i don't know but it's true you you can't switch that on and off right you don't have the kind of control over your heart to make yourself more receptive, necessarily. And so if the convicting power of God is there and it's happening and he's speaking to you and he's, and, and, and he's, he's, he's calling you, if you ignore the conviction, if you remain passive while the Spirit urges you, if you keep postponing repentance and faith, you may very well find yourself incapable in the future. Of mustering it up. That again was my story, not to make it about myself, but maybe some of you could say the same thing. This was my story, passive and indecisive, eventually indifferent, eventually hostile, and hard, until God had mercy. The point is, don't assume you can be neutral for now and act later. It doesn't work that way. Herod thought that he was remaining neutral. Notice this. Herod thought he was remaining neutral. Perhaps he'd make a choice in the future to figure out this weird relationship with his niece slash wife slash sister-in-law. Maybe he'd figure out later on what to do with John. But he was still sleeping with Herodias. And John was still in jail. You see what I'm saying is that even when he thought he was being neutral, he was making decisions. He was making the wrong decisions. He was doubling down on the wrong decisions. See, our hearts are always moving in one direction or another. So so while you remain undecided about Jesus, you're not remaining undecided about other things. You're following other certain voices. You're listening to them. You're making choices. You're, You're deepening your relationships with certain people and in certain areas you're following a path is what I mean you're strengthening your grip on certain things even as you put off the decision about your relationship to Jesus to put it differently sitting on a fence is not sustainable you will fall in the direction that you're leaning or being pulled and we're all leaning in some direction and we're all being pulled So if you are trying to stay neutral, for now, postpone repentance. Jesus is your Lord. You know you've called him Lord, and he's calling you to repentance in some area. He's calling you to obedience. He's calling you to action in some way. And you're trying to just remain neutral. Please know that you're in a powerless place. Or if you don't know Jesus at all and you're postponing a decision on whether or not you want to know him, whether or not you want to follow him, again, this is not, this is not a hard sell. This is not a, a scare tactic. I'm, I'm being honest with you and, I, and, it's, and it's based on what I see here in the life of Herod. And perhaps many of us could tell you that it's true in our testimonies as well. If you're trying to stay neutral for now, postpone repentance, postpone submitting your life to Jesus. And you think that where you'll stay, this is where I'll stay until I decide otherwise. You're mistaken. And God is calling you out of that. The prophet Elijah was kind of like the Old Testament John the Baptist. In 1 Kings 18, he was talking to a very ambivalent people who kept going back and forth between whether they should worship God or worship false gods, idols. And it says in verse 21 of 1 Kings 18, And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if blank is God, then follow him. You can put whatever you want in that blank. If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if you are God, then live for yourself. Just be honest about it. Decide it. If your boyfriend is God, your girlfriend is God, then live, live for them. If your career is God, then just, just name it. I live for my career. Say it. Or if approval is God, then keep living for approval. Whatever it is, we can fill in so many things in that blank. And, and he's not so much, he's not challenging them to like really go do it, live for yourself. No, he's trying to show us the, the ridiculousness of this, of this scene of, of, of what we're doing when we're limping between two opinions on whether or not to follow and obey Jesus. That says the people did not answer him a word. I think he met with some ambivalence. (laughs) They were quiet. I don't know. I don't want to read too much into it, but maybe they were indecisive. They're like, what do we do with this? I don't know. Let's think about it later. But the irony of this, of course, is that in the indecision, decisions were being made. In the hesitation to commit to God, commitments were being made. If you've already, again, believed and trusted in Jesus, then there's a word for you here too. Has the Spirit been convicting you lately? Calling you to obedience and repentance. How are you responding? Is, is the pattern in, in, in my life, is the pattern in your life? Let me think more about this. Maybe at some point I'll get serious about this. Passively delaying obedience. This story is here to warn us that that's costly. It is a tragic story. Isn't it? But like I said before, the tragedy isn't John's ending. The the, the tragedy is Herod's ending. John lost his head, but has eternal life. Was welcomed into the magnificent, glorious presence of his Savior, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, as John called him. John's the freest person in this story because of his relationship to Jesus. Herod, on the other hand, he kept his relationships. He saved face, but he lost everything. In fact, history tells us that he wouldn't even last very long as a ruler. He would lose his job and his fortune soon and die in exile, replaced by someone new. Verse 26, remember it said, he was exceedingly sorry at his party that day. But his sorrow would only deepen. And that describes everyone who chooses to not receive Jesus and the forgiveness he offers in himself. Whether whether you choose that by resolute rejection or by passive indecision, it doesn't matter. In the end, the result is the same. It's exceeding eternal sorrow. So I want to encourage you, don't let this tragedy happen to you. If you will entrust yourself to Jesus, what awaits you is the joy of knowing the One who made you and loves you, and offers you all you need and long for most. We don't uh, do uh, altar calls here, right? We don't. Uh, I don't ask people to raise a hand if they want to come know Jesus and come up here, and we don't normally do that. I'm not bashing that, but we we don't. But but there is an urgency here, isn't there? And, and, and I, I wonder, I, I perhaps I've failed to communicate that urgency enough over the years. If I have, forgive me, church. God is giving us another opportunity to respond. This whole gospel of Mark has shown us Jesus, his words, his kingdom, his power, his heart for us. It's all been there on display. And we have to ask how am I responding? How are you responding? It's another opportunity to believe, to receive. And you don't need to get up out of your seat to do that or raise a hand. Hey, you can do it right where you're sitting. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. And I urge you, I urge you to hear the call of Christ to you. To believe, to trust, to follow, and to respond with belief and trust. You can do that where you sit, there's no formula, you can simply ask him for forgiveness, ask him for the faith, weak. if your faith is weak, you can pray like that man prayed the gospel of luke i believe lord i want to believe i believe but help my unbelief don't let anything distract you so many things are waiting to distract you don't allow that don't let fear overcome you embrace the gift the freedom that jesus offers you in himself if you want to talk to someone else about that I'd love to talk. There are plenty of people here who would love to talk to you. Maybe one of the members of the church, one of the elders, a care group leader, discipleship group leader around you and talk to them. If you are a follower of Jesus and you know he's calling you to act in, in some area, to turn back to him in some area, then would you submit yourself to him? Would you offer even your weak faith to him now? He receives it gladly. If you're walking with him, would you pray for a loved one? Pray for someone here. Intercede, intercede for someone else in the room or in your life that you so desire to know your Savior. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the patience that you exhibit towards us. We confess our indecision, our hesitancy to respond to you in the decisive way that you approach us. (laughs) With steadfast love, always the same, Lord, we waffle back and forth. We pray that you would If anyone here, Lord, is of two minds, we pray that you would unite their hearts, unite our hearts, to submit everything to you. To finally and once for all say, you are Lord, you are Savior. I want you and nothing else. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.